Hello and welcome to Quilts Achievements Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we've been discussing here at Quilts Achievements. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button or whichever streaming platform you're listening on, or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. My name is James Hardy and I'm an investment manager based out of our London office. This week, I'm joined by regular commentator and head of fixed interest, Richard Carter, as well as Carly Morehouse, fund research analyst covering Asia, emerging markets and America. Now, the topic for this week's show is effectively a tale of two cities, or rather two countries, the US and China. One storms ahead while the other languishes. Chinese property developers are defaulting on their bonds. There are declining imports and exports with weak domestic demand and the high and rising youth unemployment rate that have all contributed to a slowdown in Chinese economic activity. In stark contrast, the US economy seems impervious to just about anything. Now, Richard, would you mind running us through the recent economic data out of the US? It's been pretty good, hasn't it? But is it enough to allay fears of a recession? Yeah, it was, the, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, James, I think, on, on that note. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it, it's been pretty decent data coming out of the States, and say, over the last uh, month or so, all fairly benign. And all this talk, we've had a recession for, for some time now. It just doesn't seem to be coming uh, to pass. You know, maybe in 2024, it will finally arrive. Um, but uh, for now, it's all kind of consistent with the sort of soft landing uh, narrative that uh, has kind of taken hold in, in markets and is, is, I guess, fairly positive for investors. So, um, I mean, we've seen some loosening in labour markets. So we've seen sort of job openings, things like that fall. We've seen a bit of a tick up in the unemployment rate, um, but nothing that would um, suggest as a sort of you know imminent recession. And I think the Fed... Uh, will for now be pretty pleased that it's probably do, it's done its job and, and started you know starting to slow the US economy down uh, without hopefully causing too much damage. So how is all of this changing interest rate expectations? Well, I think um, I mean these these rate expectations move around quite a lot as you know as we've talked a lot about on this uh, on this podcast. But uh, for now, I think most people. Uh, certainly in bond markets, think that the Fed is pretty much done. They don't think um, uh, they'll need to raise rates anytime, uh, anytime soon. As long as inflation, you know, continues to ease off gradually, that's that's probably going to be the case. So I think at the moment there's a there's a small outside chance that they might raise rates once more. Uh, I think in November, uh, but other than that, there's there's, there's nothing really priced in uh, until. We get into the spring when you know the market's looking at sort of the sort of first potential interest rate cuts, not more hikes actually. So um, still a long way off, I think, before they can talk about cutting rates. But uh, certainly, I guess for bond markets, it's certainly a bit more of a, a benign backdrop now. Now China looks a little bit soggy in comparison. I mean, the official data doesn't make for very pretty reading, does it? I'm sure the reality on the ground is even worse because of the official numbers being a bit massaged. But what's going on in China, Richard? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I think the uh, what we saw in the UK over the weekend about uh, uh, the ONS uh, discovering two percent of GDP or thereabouts uh, during during COVID uh, just sort of warns you not to take official data too seriously, particularly maybe some of the Chinese data. And often these things are uh, revised away. But clearly, you know, the Chinese post-COVID were hoping for a bit of a sort of 
consumer-led rebound rather than sort of, you know, firing up the, the whole property market again. Uh, and that's been pretty lackluster. The sort of retail sales, those sorts of things haven't been great. Uh, and also, you know, the, the sort of slowing global demand hasn't helped them on the export side. But I think what I've kind of found more interesting really than the official data, things, you know, worries about, as Country Guard and various property developers who are starting to get close to defaulting uh, on various bonds, there's been stories knocking around about um, uh, you know shadow banking and mispayments on investment products. Those are the things I think that investors probably should be uh, focusing on, and certainly um, some concern. I mean, yeah, the Chinese are making modest efforts at stimulus, but uh, so far it hasn't been kind of shock and awe. Uh, it's been kind of marginal moves on rates and, and various kind of rules around mortgages. So they're, they're doing some efforts to stimulus, but I don't really think they, as I say, want to fire up the whole property sector uh, once again. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a sort of slow decline at the moment as far as the Chinese economy is concerned. And to revive their fortunes, I mean, you've, you've touched on it there, various measures have been put in place to try and stimulate the economy. But a cynic might describe some of them as flogging a dead horse. But could they actually be quite effective in revitalising their economy? Well, time will tell on that one. I mean, as I say, they don't really want to go. I mean, you know, they've been a big property and in infrastructure and investment-led boom, um, a bit like Japan, if we cast our minds back, you know, 30 years or so. Uh, and, and they're sort of cautious about just sort of loading more debt into the property sector. Um, so they're, they're looking for potentially a more balanced economy. So I think in that sense... Uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to look at stimulating, you know, uh, providing stimulus for the consumer rather than rather than all the property companies again. So that could be, as I say, that could be a bit of a slower burn. Thanks, Richard. Now, it's always easy to get very doom and gloom most of the time in the market. You know, there's always something to worry about. However, as investors, it's our job to decide if the price is right and that the risks are worth taking for the prices in front of us. Now, Carly, for the valuations of emerging markets, and in particular China, they're absolutely rock bottom. I saw recently that the valuation gap between the US and China hasn't been this wide since the early 2000s. Is this an opportunity or do you see it as a value trap? Yeah, um, so it is really, as you said, you know, it depends where you're looking in emerging markets, because you know, while there are some very cheap areas like China, there are also some more expensive areas. Um, so, for example, India has historically traded um, and will most likely continue to trade at a premium to emerging markets. It's come off a bit this year, but you know, as you alluded to, you know, when you look at where valuations are in China relatively, although India's growth trajectory looks to be much stronger into the future, it's easy to see why the focus has shifted more towards China recently. So, um, yeah, as you said, the Chinese market um, is at a multi-decade low relative to the MSCI ACQUI and, and that level is not seen since the Asia crisis of 98. And that's not to say that there aren't risks in China to account for. Of course there are, and you know there are also value traps, but there are also a number of high quality companies that have sold off along with the rest, irrespective of fundamentals. So you know, it's here in particular where we can definitely see opportunities for long-term investors. It's just a, a little bit harder to find them and you need to be much more selective today than a few years ago, really. Sure. And from the funds that we have under coverage at Quilt Achieve Yet, which sectors are our Asian and emerging market fund managers particularly excited by right now? 
Well, Chinese um, internet is definitely an area where many of our managers are focusing. You know, some of the large internet names have done all right this year, but there are a handful which have underperformed quite significantly. So for example, JD.com. So these names are looking particularly interesting, especially as many have continued to report good results. Yet due to the overhang of the Chinese macro situation, this is largely being ignored by investors. So this is definitely an area where we see both growth and value managers adding. Um, another area that managers are still keen on is um, China reopening. So it has disappointed so far this year because I think the market was far too optimistic when COVID restrictions were lifted. You know, what happened in China during the close to three years that the country battled with COVID has really hit the economy hard and it's going to take time to reach normality. Um, we also need to remember that there have been other things impacting the market at the same time, such as the regulations on the Chinese internet platforms, um, you know, ongoing property sector concerns, and also geopolitics. But as time goes on, we should continue to see this move towards normality, um, at least where COVID is concerned. You know, since the beginning of the pandemic, Chinese household savings have increased by an estimated $7 trillion, um, which to give some context is um, you know, more than the entirety of Japan's GDP last year. So you know, households are sitting on a lot of extra cash. And at some point, um, you know, some of this will make its way back into the economy. And this will help that gradual consumer recovery that we've uh, been expecting to come through. Also, China is a market where the government can have a big impact. Um, and given how weak the economic data has been and mounting concerns around the property sector, we're finally seeing the government start to take action. Um, you know, as Richard said, it's it's been a bit lackluster so far, um, but, you know, this should help contribute towards um, a more positive uh, backdrop for Chinese equities. But, you know, outside of China, there are also a number of countries that raise rates much earlier compared to the US, um, as they have a lot of experience dealing with high inflation, unlike the Western world. You know, one of those countries is Brazil. So now that inflation is much more under control there, they can start to um, lower rates, which will obviously be beneficial for consumers. So, you know, the consumer area in these types of markets is an increasing area of focus too. Um, and another trend that's been in focus really since Trump introduced the tariffs on China um, is reshoring and nearshoring. And then I guess the pandemic just further highlighted exactly how detrimental it can be to you know, be reliant on one particular country and and not to have a more diversified supply chain. Um, it's one reason why Mexico as a market has been so strong this year, as the US is certainly one of those countries looking to bring their manufacturing closer to home. And other emerging markets in Asia are also benefiting from this as companies move away from China to lower cost manufacturing countries such as India or Vietnam. So you can see how this one trend alone has quite an impact on a few economies. So, yeah, I mean, looking back across the pond, large U.S. stocks have dominated the market recently, particularly those large tech names that we all know and love. But what about the small and the mid-cap managers? What are they saying right now? Yeah, I mean, as the large large cap tech stocks in the U.S. have continued to perform strongly, um, mainly off the back of this fascination and an optimism around AI, um, we've definitely seen small and mid-caps get left behind also, the smaller cap stocks have been hit by events like the regional bank crisis back in March and, and the sell-off that followed that. So it has been really tough. Um, smaller companies haven't been um, as cheap relative to large caps since um, the tech bubble around 2000, 2001. And it does appear as if smaller mid caps 
especially growth stocks have been oversold, which which does present an attractive opportunity as, as some high quality companies are trading at what looks like very depressed valuations. However, of course, it is hard to say when the tide will turn and when it will be a better environment for smaller mid caps as you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty to navigate. You know, should the US go into recession, I mean, this would most likely mean more pain for this area and, of, and um, you know, relative to uh, the larger peers. So while there are opportunities there, I think for the time being, um, the focus will most likely remain on, on the large and mega caps. Thank you ever so much, Richard and Carly, for those great insights and to all of you for listening. Did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We love to hear from our listeners, so please review the show now wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at Quilt Achieve It. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next week, and in the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachieveit.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on markets, news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Finally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, then simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you again to Richard and Carly for your time and to all of you for listening. See you next time.